Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineosh Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Second half of Chapter 79, Taboo Trade-Offs, Part 1. Even as Harry Potter left the room for his own investigations, Severus spun on his heel and strode swiftly toward the jar of flu powder, his cloak rising behind him with his speed. I'll get some raw polyjuice, add the hair, and go. Headmaster, what do you stand by to? Albus, Minerva said, surprised at how steady her own voice was. Did you leave those notes under Mr. Potter's pillow? Severus's hand halted an instant before casting flu powder into the fire. Dumbledore nodded to her, though the accompanying smile seemed a bit hollow. You know me far too well, my dear. And I suppose the port key goes to a friendly home where Mr. Potter would be kept safe and sound until you arrive to pick him up and return him to Hogwarts? Her voice tight. It was sensible. She could not deny it was sensible. But somehow it seemed a little cruel. It would depend on the circumstances. If Harry had gone so far, I might have let him make good his escape for a time. Better to know where he was going and ensure it was somewhere safe with friends. And to think that I had thought to reprimand Mr. Potter for not telling us about this important matter. Upbraid him for not having the sense to trust us. I shall skip that lecture, I suppose. Severus was gazing at the headmaster with narrowed eyes. And the note to Miss Granger... The defense professor, very likely. Still, that is only a guess. I shall go look for them, and then, I suppose, start looking for you-know-who. A frown crossed the potions master's face. A task at which I haven't the faintest idea where to start. Do you know of any magics to find a soul, headmaster? The divination classroom was lit by the dim red light of a hundred small fires, where burned a hundred kinds of incense, so that if you were to ask in one word what the room looked like, the answer would be smoke. Assuming you bothered to look at anything when your nose was threatening to overload and die. If your gaze could pierce those dank mists, you would see a tiny cluttered room in which forty stuffed armchairs, most of them unused, were crammed around a small open space in the center of the room where a circular trap door waited on your escape. The Grim! Professor Trelawney said in a quavering voice as she peered into George Weasley's teacup. The Grim, it is a sign of death. One whom you know, George, someone you know, is going to die. And soon. Yes, it shall be quite soon, I think, unless of course it is later. It would have been a good deal scarier, thought Fred and George, if she hadn't said the same thing to every single other student in their divination class. They were hardly even thinking about it at this point. All their thoughts were on today's disaster. The trapdoor in the floor flew open with a bang that caused Professor Trelawney to shriek and spill George's tea all over his robes. And then an instant later, Dumbledore was whooshing up out of the floor with a bird of fire upon his shoulder. Fred, the old wizard said commandingly. His robes were the black of a moonless night, his eyes hard like blue diamonds. George, with me now! 
There was a collective gasp, and by the time Fred and George were climbing down the ladder after the headmaster, the entire class was already speculating what role they'd played in the attempted murder of Draco Malfoy. The trapdoor had hardly slammed shut above them before all nearby sounds muted and the old wizard spun on them and held out his hand and commanded, Give me the map! map said Fred or George in total shock. They'd never even suspected that Dumbledore suspected. Why, we, we don't know what you're... Hermione Granger is in trouble! The map is in our dorm. George or Fred said immediately, Just give us a few minutes to get it and we'll... The wizard's arm swept them up as if they were hugging pillows. There was a piercing cry and a flash of fire, and then the three of them were in the third-year Gryffindor boys' dorm. A few moments later, Fred and George were handing over the map to the headmaster, wincing only slightly at the sacrilege of giving their precious piece of the Hogwarts security system to the person who actually owned it. And the old wizard was frowning at the apparent blankness. You've got to say, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. I decline to lie, said the old wizard. He held the map high and bellowed. Hear me, Hogwarts! Deligator Prodi! An instant later, the headmaster was wearing the sorting hat, which looked scarily right upon his head, as though Dumbledore had always been waiting for a patchwork-pointed hat to complete his existence. Fred and George immediately memorized this phrase, just in case it would work for somebody besides the headmaster, and began trying to think of pranks that would involve the sorting hat. The old wizard wasted not a moment before sweeping the sorting hat off his head and turning it upside down. It was hard to tell with the hat upside down, but it looked a bit cross at the treatment, and then plunged in his hand and drew out a crystal rod. With this instrument, he began tracing rune-like patterns on the map, muttering strange incantations that sounded not quite like Latin, and echoed in their ears in an unusually creepy fashion. In the midst of tracing one rune, he looked up at both of them, fixing them with a sharp glare. I will return this to you later, sons of Weasley. Go back to class. Yes, headmaster. They said, and hesitated. Ah, about Hermione Granger. Is she really going to be bound to serve Draco Malfoy forever, as his? Go. They went. When he was alone in the room, the old wizard looked down at the map which had now written upon itself a fine line drawing of the Gryffindor dorms in which they stood. The small handwritten Albus P.W.B. Dumbledore, the only name left therein. The old wizard smoothed the map, bent over it, and whispered, Find Tom Riddle! The interrogation room at the Department of Magical Law Enforcement was usually lit by a small orange light, so that the aura interrogating you would be leaning toward your uncomfortable metal chair with most of their face in shadow, preventing you from reading their expression even as they read yours. As soon as Mr. Quirrell had entered the room, the small orange light had dimmed and begun flickering like a candle about to be blown out by the wind. The room was now lit by a sourceless, ice-colored glow which illuminated all of Mr. Quirrell's pale skin like alabaster, except, somehow, his eyes, which stayed in darkness. The auror on duty outside had surreptitiously tried to dispel this effect four times without the slightest success, 
despite the fact that Mr. Quirrell had politely surrendered his wand upon being detained for interrogation, and had shown no sign of speaking any incantations nor exerting any other power. Quirinus Quirrell, drawled the man, now sitting across from where the defense professor had waited courteously. The interrogator had tawny hair that swept back like a lion's mane, with yellowish eyes set into the sternly lined face of a man late in his tenth decade. The man was, at this moment, leafing through a large folder of parchments that he had taken from a black and very solid-looking briefcase after he had limped into the room and sat down, seeming not to look at the face of the man he was interrogating. He had not introduced himself. After some further leafing through the parchments, carried out in silence, the Auror spoke again. Born the 26th of September, 1955, to Quirrell, of an acknowledged tryst with Lyrinus Lumblung. Sorted into Ravenclaw. OWL's quite good. N-E-W-T's in Charms, Transfiguration. An outstanding in Muggle Studies. Impressive. Ancient Runes. And, ah yes, defense. An outstanding in that as well. Went on to become quite the tourist, visiting all sorts of places. Portkey visas for Transylvania, the Forbidden Empire, the City of Endless Night. My, my, Texas. The man looked up from the portfolio, eyes narrowed. What were you doing there, Mr. Quirrell? Sightseeing, mostly in the Muggle areas. As you say, I am quite the tourist. The man listened to this with a frown, then looked back down, then up again. I also see that you visited Fuyuki City in 1983. The defense professor lifted an eyebrow in mild puzzlement. What of it? What did you do in Fuyuki City? The question snapped out razor sharp. The defense professor frowned slightly. Nothing of any account. I visited some better-known sites, some less-known sites, and aside from that, kept to myself. Really? The Auror said softly. I find that reply rather interesting. How so? Because there was no visa listed for Fuyuki City. The man slammed the folder shut. You're not Queerness Quirrell. Who the hell are you? The potions master walked quietly into the Ravenclaw girl's dorm, the first-year dorm room, a festive place where bronze and blue competed to be the color of stuffed animals, scarves and dresses, small bits of inexpensive jewelry, and posters of famous people. Hermione Granger's bed was easy to identify. It was the one that had been attacked by a book monster. Nobody else seemed to be around at that time of day, and a number of spells verified this. The potions master searched under Hermione Granger's pillow and beneath her bed, and then began going through her trunk, sorting through mentionable and unmentionable items without change of expression, and finally succeeded in drawing forth a set of papers describing places and times where bullies would be found, all the papers signed only with an elaborate S. A brief burst of fire later, the papers were gone, and the potions master left to report the failure of his mission. The defense professor was sitting calmly with his hands folded in his lap. If you consult Headmaster Dumbledore, you will find that he is well aware of this matter, 
and that I agree to teach his defense class on the explicit condition that no inquiry be made into my... In a lightning motion, the interrogator whipped out his wand and spat... Polyfluous Reverso. At the same time that the defense professor sneezed, which somehow caused the mirror-silvered ray to disrupt in a shower of white sparks. Pardon me. The smile that the aura gave had absolutely no mirth in it. So where's the real queerness, Quirley? Under an imperious, in the bottom of a trunk somewhere, while you take a hair now and then for your illegal polyjuice? You are making highly questionable assumptions. What makes you think I did not steal his body outright, using incredibly dark magic? This was followed by a certain pause. I suggest that you take this seriously, Mr. Whoever you are. I'm sorry, said the defense professor, leaning back in his chair. But I see little reason to humble myself on this particular occasion. What are you going to do? Kill me? I don't appreciate your humor. How unfortunate for you, Rufus Scrimgore. You have my deepest sympathy. He tilted his head, seeming to study the interrogator, and even within the shadow of the ice light, the eyes glinted. Padma stared down at her plate. Hermione wouldn't just do that! yelled Mandy Brocklehurst, who was practically in tears. In fact, she was in tears. Her voice would have been loud enough to silence the Great Hall if it hadn't been for all the other students also screaming at each other. I... I bet Maffo tried to, to do things to her. Our general would never do that! Kevin Entwistle yelled even louder than Mandy. Of course he would! shouted Anthony Goldstein. Malfoy's the son of a Death Eater! Padma stared down at her plate. Draco was the general of her army. Hermione was the founder of Spew. Draco had trusted her to be his second in command. Hermione was her fellow Ravenclaw. Both of them were her friends. Maybe the two best friends she had. Padma stared down at her plate. She was glad the sorting hat hadn't offered her Hufflepuff. If she'd been sorted into Hufflepuff, it would probably have been much more painful, trying to decide where her divided loyalties lay. She blinked and realized that her vision had gotten blurry again, and raised a trembling hand to wipe once more at her eyes. Morag McDougal snorted so loudly it was audible even amid the pandemonium of lunch, and said in a loud voice, I bet Granger cheated in her battle yesterday. I bet that's why Malfoy challenged her. All of you, shut up! Roared Harry Potter as he hit the table with his fists so hard that plates rattled all the way along it. At any other time, it would have gotten professors reprimanding him. This time, it just got a few nearby students to look. I'd wanted to eat lunch and then get back to investigating, so I wasn't going to talk. But you're all being silly, and when the truth comes out, you're going to regret what you said about innocent people. Draco didn't do anything. Hermione didn't do anything. They were both false memory charmed. How is that not bloody obvious? You think we'll believe that? Kevin Entwistle yelled right back at him. That's what everyone says. I didn't do it. It was all just a false memory charm. You think we're stupid? And Morag nodded right along with him with a condescending look. 
The look that came over Harry Potter's face then made Padma flinch. I see, Harry Potter said. It wasn't a shout, so Padma had to strain to hear it. Professor Quirrell isn't here to explain to me how stupid people are, but I bet this time I can get it on my own. People do something dumb and get caught and are given veritas serum. Not romantic master criminals, because they wouldn't get caught. They would have learned occlumency. Sad, pathetic, incompetent criminals get caught and confess under veritas serum. And they're desperate to stay out of Azkaban, so they say they were false memory charmed. Right? So your brain, by sheer Pavlovian association, links the idea of false memory charms to pathetic criminals with unbelievable excuses. You don't have to consider the specific details. Your brain just pattern matches the hypothesis into a bucket of things you don't believe, and you're done. Just like my father thought that magical hypotheses could never be believed because he'd heard so many stupid people talking about magic. Believing a hypothesis that involves false memory charms is low status. What are you blithering about? Said Morag, looking down her nose at the boy who lived. You'd think we believe anything you say? Yelled a slightly older-looking Ravenclaw witch who Padma didn't recognize. When you turned Granger dark? And I'm not going to complain, Harry Potter said in an eerily calm voice, about wizards not having any logic and believing the craziest things. Because I said that to Professor Quirrell once, and he just gave me this look, and said that if I wasn't blinded by my upbringing, I could think of a hundred more ridiculous things that lots of muggles believe. What you're all doing is very human and very normal, and doesn't make you unusually bad people. So I'm not going to complain. The boy who lived rose up from his bench. I'll see you all later. You're not thinking he's right, are you? Said Sue Lee from beside her, in a tone which made it clear what she thought. I... Said Padma. Her words seemed to be caught in her throat. Her thoughts seemed to be caught in her head. I mean... I... If you think hard enough, you can do the impossible. It had always been an article of faith with Harry. There'd been a time when he'd acknowledged the laws of physics as ultimate limitations, and now he suspected there were no true limits at all. If you think fast enough, you can do the impossible quickly. Sometimes. Only sometimes. Not always. Not reliably. The boy who lived stared around the trophy room, surrounded by awards and cups and plates and shields and statues and medals kept behind thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, of crystal glass displays. For as many centuries as Hogwarts had existed, this room had been accumulating details. A week, a month, maybe even a year wouldn't have sufficed to take the examine option on every item in the room. With Professor Flitwick gone, Harry had asked Professor Vector if there was any way to detect damage to the wards around the crystal cases, verify the residue that a real duel should have left behind. Harry had raced through the Hogwarts library looking for spells to tell the difference between old fingerprints and new fingerprints, or to detect lingering exhalations in a room. And all those attempts at playing detective had failed. There were no clues. None that he was smart enough to find. 
Professor Snape had said that the portkey led to an empty house in London with no sign of anyone or anything else. Professor Snape hadn't found any notes in Hermione's dorm. Headmaster Dumbledore had said that Voldemort's spirit was probably hiding out in the Chamber of Secrets where the Hogwarts security system couldn't find him. Harry had snuck into the Slytherin dungeons under the Cloak of Invisibility and spent the rest of the afternoon looking through all the obvious places, but he hadn't found anything snaky that answered back when spoken to. The entrance to the Chamber of Secrets, it seemed, hadn't been meant to be found in a day. Harry had talked to all of Hermione's friends that would still talk to him, and none of them had remembered Hermione saying anything specific about why she believed that Draco was plotting against her. Professor Quirrell hadn't come back from the ministry as of dinner time. The older students seemed to think that this year's defense professor would probably end up being blamed for the incident, and fired for teaching Hogwarts students to be too violent. They talked about the defense professor as though he were already gone. Harry had used up all six hours from his time-turner, and there were still no clues, and he had to go to sleep now if he wanted to be functional at Hermione's trial the next day. The boy who destroyed a Dementor was standing in the middle of the Hogwarts trophy room, his wand dropped at his feet. He was crying. Sometimes you call your brain, and it doesn't answer. The trial of Hermione Granger started on schedule the next day. End Chapter 79 Thank you to the following people. Rufus Scrimger, read by Keen. Padme and Paravati Patil by Amanda Grisello. Minerva McGonagall, read by Autumn Rachel Dryden. Dumbledore, Drake Walker. Severus Snape by Brian Jones. Fred and George Weasley by Greg Krause. Trelawney by Paula. Anthony Goldstein, read by Seth Morrigan. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for Chapter 80, Taboo Tradeoffs, Part 2, The Horns Effect.